So, this is week eight of this series, Uncommon, as we've been working through the book of Romans. And if you're new, we began at the end of the book, and we've been working our way backwards through it um, until we got to chapters 9 through 11, and then we jumped to the front and kind of read forward. And the whole purpose of that was to kind of give us the context of the purpose of the letter. And so if you're new, just kind of catching you up, um, these Jewish Christians who were very Torah observant had started these churches throughout Rome, these house churches, and they were expelled from the city. They were basically cast out of the city. And when they come back, um, about five or six years later, the churches there that they began don't look anything like the church they began because these Gentile Christians who they taught and they brought up to know Jesus are saying, well, we don't have to do all those things that the Torah said. That's the law, and we're following Christ, and we're free in Him. And so there's this conflict that begins to develop in this church because these Jewish Torah-observant Christians are saying, hey, that's not the way you're supposed to do church. And these Gentile Christians over here are saying, that's not the way you're supposed to do church. You can't tell us what to do. And there is this conflict because things were different back then. Um, and there's this conflict. And so Paul is writing the, these Jewish Christians and these Gentile Christians saying, here's what it looks like and here's why it is so important that you get along. And the, the crux of the matter, the, the main idea, is that every single one of you messes this church up, right? Every single one of you, both Jewish, Torah-observant Christians and Gentile Christians alike, you're all in the same, same boat. You're all on evil, even ground. You're all alike. And that is simple. You continue to mess up what God planned for this world, and you take his goodness and you use it. And we see signs and symptoms of it everywhere. You see mass shootings, and you, you turn on the TV and it's like, oh man, another one. Or the turmoil in the Middle East. Or, or those rock-solid marriages that you thought, man, those are ironclad, that's never going to to end, and you see divorce, and you see the cycle of pain and poverty and abuse. You hear and see stories of children who are hurting, children, little girls who are sold into sex slavery by their parents for money for their drug habits. And everywhere you look, you know it is obvious, like things are not the way they are supposed to be. I have a really good friend who had a conversation with a guy who considers himself to be an atheist. And they were sitting down on a park bench outside the elementary school that my children go to, and he tells this guy that he's going to pray for him, and he goes, no, 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 you don't pray for me. I can't believe in a God who would allow all of this to happen and not step in and do something about it. And, and he evidently had some expletives mixed in there um, along the way. He said, I can't do that. I think Paul would say, well, how, how do you not see that all of us contribute to the problem? All of us are a part of the problem. And the, the, the problem is the people he sent to be the solution contribute to the problem. 
and we all continue to make it worse. And so the, the world begins with very much this idea that, that there is shalom, there is this peace with God, and it moves towards brokenness. And now because, and basically what sin is, sin is taking God's good creation and taking it in a direction it was never intended to go. God gives us the good gift of, of sex, and it's taken in directions it was never intended to go. God gives us the, the good gift of words that we can bless and encourage one another with, and we take it in directions that it was never intended to go, and we use it to tear down and break down and build walls and barriers. And so we live in a world that is held hostage by sin and pain and death and brokenness. A creation that he's going to say in, in Romans 8 is groaning, is, is longing for things to be as they were supposed to be in the beginning. And then we, we figure out, how, well, how do we deal with this problem? If the world is broken, how are we going to deal with it? And I think there are three primary ways we deal with it. One is despair. There, there's just kind of this hopeless sense, like, it's messed up and I can't do anything about it. I, 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 you can show me all the pictures you want of starving children in Africa, but from what I'm doing sitting here in Tyler, Texas, I can do nothing about. And so there's kind of that despair and that hopelessness. Um, there is um, callousness. Like, we just don't care. Like, we get so tired of hearing about it, and we can't affect it, so it's just, oh well. And then there's fix it yourself. We'll, we'll just fix it ourselves and, and go on. And, and there's a world of self-help books, and here's what you do, and you can YouTube it and figure it out, and you can make it work on your own. So let's just fix it ourselves. But the problem is, it's not just simply about you. It's about this creation that has kind of fallen, this creation that is broken, this creation that is groaning and longing to be restored and reclaimed. And what Paul does in Romans is he sets sin and death as basically a tyrant king who reigns and rules over creation, who has dominion who wreaks havoc on this creation, and it continues to oppress this creation. And this death, this tyrant king of sin and death, continues to gain more and more and more ground as we take creation further and further away from the way that it was supposed to go. And its weapons are deceit and blame and accusation. And what God does is he says, okay, here's the problem. We're going to send the law. But what he says in Romans 8 is the law was powerless. It's this, this law that he sends to help fix the problem, just like he's going to send Israel to fix the problem, is powerless against this tyrant king that continues to reign. And there's this kind of dark cloud that hangs over things like it, it can't get better, right? We just should just be in despair. There's no way that things are going to get fixed. There's no way. And then into that darkness and into that despair, he speaks some really, really powerful words. These earth-shattering words of hope. He says in chapter 5, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. Who's the one man? And the one man is Adam. And Adam is a type of man. Okay, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, and death comes in through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. So Adam sins. 
and they begin to blame, and they begin to accuse, and the problem just gets bigger from there because Cain is angry with his brother, and so he kills him. And, and from there, creation goes into this tailspin where it says just all creation is kind of off the rails, and all creation is messed up, and all creation, and God is disturbed, he's sad that he started this. Because God gives this good gift of creation, and humans say, wow, thank you, thank you, we're just going to go do what we want with it. We're going to make it our own. We're going to search for our ultimate peace. I know you say peace looks like this in the garden and communion with God and at peace with one another, but I think there's more. And it comes to this ultimate culmination in chapter 11 of Genesis where where they're building this tower and they're doing it to make a name for themselves so that we can set ourselves apart, so that we can be better. And it's this competition that continues to breed and continues to, to lead to more and more brokenness and oppression as we have to get the upper hand. And there's this problem that God speaks into creation and says there is hope. The way things are now is not the way they will always be. I don't know about you, but there are times I desperately need to hear that. I desperately need to hear that the way things are now is not the way they will always be. He goes on to say, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So sin was here before the law was given. And he goes on to say this, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Why is Moses so significant? Moses is where the law comes in. And so Adam, the first man, comes into creation, and he takes creation in a direction that it was not supposed to go, and it continues to spiral that way out of control through the time of Moses. And God sends the law, which we're going to hear the law was powerless to do anything about the problem, right? Because there's this tyrant king who's reigning over creation. Even though those who did not sin by breaking a command. There wasn't a law, but yet there was still sin. There there wasn't a law, but there was still sin. And he goes on. As did Adam, who is the pattern of the one who is to come. And so there's this pattern. There's this pattern of Adam who takes the creation and he goes in directions was never intended to go and he practices blame and accusation and he's pointing the finger and he's doing his own thing and he's continuing to take creation astray. He's continuing to contribute to the brokenness. And he sets up this pattern. And there's this pattern in place that all of the rest of us begin to follow. Where we're going to do our own thing. And we're going to make a name for ourselves. And we're going to search to to find the thing that's going to bring us the most peace. And then we realize things are broken. And we start working really hard to press back into God. Like, if we work hard enough, if we do enough, if we're good enough, if we come to church enough, if we don't sin enough, then we'll be right with God. But there's still that sin that hovers over our life. There's that tyrant king in Romans of sin 
and death and destruction. And this pattern of Adam who is the one to come. And then skipping down to verse 20. He says the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. He, he puts the law in place and he says so that the trespass would It's not that sin increased because the law came. It, it means that we just became, we, we saw it. Because there were laws there in place and it said here, don't do this and we were still doing this. Don't, don't lie. And yet we lie. Don't be angry, and yet we let anger control us. Don't steal, and don't covet, and don't envy, and we still steal and covet and envy. And so it becomes so obvious what the problem is. And he goes on to say, but where the law or where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where there was sin, grace continued to flood. Grace continued to bring dominion over this tyrant king. He goes on to say this, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That, that there, is, there is hope. There is hope in the midst of it, and it's grace, and grace has a name, and grace has a face, and the name is Jesus. And the problem begins in the beginning, at the start of things, when things are right, when there is peace with God and peace with one another. And it begins with this guy named Adam, and the name in Hebrew is Adam. It means mankind or humanity. And so there's this pattern of humanity or mankind. And what Paul is doing, he's setting up this picture of a new humanity, a new Adam, he'll, he'll say, a new Adam whose name is Jesus. And where this old humanity continued to give itself over to sin and death and allow sin and death to rule and reign and became subject to sin and death, this new Adam, Jesus, brings in this new humanity. And the question is, well, why is it a new humanity? Because this new humanity did not respond as all humanity has done from the beginning. Because through this pattern, this old humanity continues to say, well, if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do it back to you. If you're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. If you're going to say something about me, I'm going to say something. If you're going to be angry at me, I'm going to, say, I'm going to be angry at you. But this new humanity takes all that this old humanity can throw at it. The anger, the rage, the hate, the self-righteousness, the pride, the arrogance, takes it all upon himself. And instead of responding like the old humanity in this old pattern, this new humanity, this new pattern, this new one, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. And I think those words, they do not know what they're doing, become so profound in light of the story. Because I think the same thing would be true about every single one of us in this room. Like, we don't know what we're doing. And we think we do. 
It's the dad who tells their kid, hey, you need to do this, and the kid goes, dad, you don't know what you're talking about. Not that's ever happened to me. You don't know what you're doing. And this new king comes into the picture. Because there's sin and death, this tyrant king. But within this humanity, there's a new king who reigns. And so Paul asks this really important question. If grace is going to continue to increase, and sin is going to be continued to, to be forgiven and covered up, and not counted against people. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Should, should we just keep doing everything like we've been doing it from the beginning? Should we stay in this pattern of this old humanity? And he says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? There's this idea that, that this old humanity is now not a part of me any longer. I've died to it. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to live in that pattern. I'm not going to live in the old humanity. I'm not going to be like Adam. So how can we live in it any longer? He goes on to say, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus we're baptized into his death. And so there's this, this moment of baptism that becomes this, this tent peg, this stake in the ground that says today things are going to be different. And it's not just the sense that I'm forgiven, but it, he uses it in the sense that I am joining Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. I'm dying to this old humanity. And I'm going to be raised into this new humanity. And because I'm going to be raised into this new humanity, I'm not going to continue to live in this old one the way the world used to work. Where, where all of that controls my life and there's this tyrant king who reigns over everything. There is a new king who reigns over this new humanity and who has dominion over all. And it's a question of which humanity are you going to submit your life to? Are, are you going to continue to live in this old humanity where there's death and decay and this tyrant king has dominion? Or are you truly going to step out of that? Are you going to die to that and be raised into this new humanity? And, and so baptism becomes this, this sacrament. Sacrament's a word that just simply means sacred mystery. Where somehow we move from this old humanity to this new humanity. And it's this picture that we look back on in our life. This, this stake in the ground, this tent peg that says, that was the moment that everything changed. Not, not just that I was forgiven. That was the moment I died to the old way of the world. That, that was the, the moment I died to this tyrant king. And my allegiance that I had to him was no longer there, that, that I moved from one humanity to a new one. He goes on to say, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. What Jesus does 
in his death is he takes the worst that sin can do, and he does not respond in kind, and therefore death no longer has control over him. He does not submit to the reign of this king, this tyrant king of sin and death. He does not submit to that way. He says, no, the world is going to be different. And he takes all of it on himself, forgiving it and not counting it against other people. He takes it all upon himself. And just as Christ was raised, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And in this new humanity, death and resurrection become a way of life. It becomes the way the world works. But the problem is we still see the signs and symptoms of this old humanity everywhere. And it's this this kind of waiting game, like, God, we're waiting on you to come and make all of this right. And I wonder at times if God's not like, that's why you're here. That, that is why you are here. That this new humanity, the new way the world works, this new Christ-like pattern that we talked about several weeks ago in chapter 12, this new Christ-like pattern would fill and form your life so that this old humanity would begin to dissipate because this new humanity is filling and flooding this old world and bringing hope and healing and resurrection into what is dead. And the problem is every one of us want to experience resurrection. But the problem is no one wants to die. Everyone wants to experience the resurrection of new life. They they want healing in their marriage, but they don't want to die. And and here's the thing, and it's pretty, pretty obvious, but you cannot be resurrected unless you are dead. And if we're honest, there's so much within us that wants to hold on to the old way of things. Because we know best. And and as long as we're in control, we can fix things. And then when we realize we can't fix things, there's despair. So several weeks ago, Matt showed us this video of the Millennium Bridge. And this bridge, the architects spent, if you want to throw it up there for me, they spent so much time building. And once they got it done, people got on the bridge and they flooded and they realized it wasn't structurally as as good as they thought. And it starts to shake. And as you watch people walk across the bridge, that soon they start to move with the bridge. As the bridge shakes they shake. And there is this old humanity, the pattern, the way things work that you see. And I think you, use, you hear those words of Paul in chapter 8 where he talks about this creation groaning for things to be made right. Th- think about yourself in the middle of that bridge, what you would be feeling. As you're walking across the bridge and it's just going back and forth and back and forth, is there a sense of despair? Like if, if you decide, oh, I forgot my wallet, I got to go back to my car, 
and you just decide to turn around. And you start to try to go the other way. And it's crowded, and it's filled with people, and there's this rhythm and this sway and this flow to it. Is there a sense of despair? Oh, man, this is, this is hopeless. Or, or maybe even the sense of like, oh, I don't even care anymore. I'm just going to go because it's easier. And then the sense of like, well, I'll just fix it myself. I'll just, I'll put my head down and I'll work really hard. And after a few minutes of trying, I think you probably realize your effort is futile. Like there's no hope in going against this. And I think there's a sense that where God says, okay, well, here's where I send my spirit to help do what you cannot do. To help convict, to help challenge And so what Paul wants you to see here in these early parts, 5 and 6, is that there is this tyrant king, sin and death. And if sin and death is this tyrant king, then there is this new king of this new humanity. And if sin and death is the tyrant king, then Jesus is the gracious king. And he's liberating this old humanity from the bondage of this tyranny, of this old order of things. He's setting people free. And so he comes to chapter 7, and he kind of changes his tone in the story. Where sin used to reign, now Jesus reigns. Where sin and death had control, now grace wins the day. But then he comes to this powerful point, because I think every single one of us who have ever heard Paul talk in chapter 7, all of us relate to it. And he says, all of the things that I want to do, I don't do. I'm trying really, really hard to do what I I know is right, but I can't because there's this part of me that's still stuck. It's almost this tug of war between these two humanities where we have one foot in the old and one foot in the new, and it's pulling us apart. Like, which way do we go? And I know I want to do what's right, but I can't. There's this tug, this powerful tug. And he goes on in chapter 7 of 21 to say this. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Right? Think about the bridge. I want to do good. I want to turn around. I want to go the other direction. But the problem isn't just my sin, it's the sin surrounding me. Because this creation is groaning to be set free. We're we're trapped within this system. And systemic sin and systemic death rear its ugly head. Evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work within me, waging war. Remember, we have these tyrant kings competing. Waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Right? We, we, we died to this old way, and we're living in this new humanity, but there's still this pull, there's still this tug, there's still a remnant of my allegiance to this tyrant king. There's still a part of me that remembers the old, 
There's still a part of me that has this allure like, I think I can make it better on my own. And I think I know there's a way to peace and, and with, with God. I know there's a way with peace with one another. I know there's a, a way to peace with creation, but I think I can fix it myself. Like there's a pull. What a wretched man. How terrible is it that I know what Jesus did and I know what God is trying to do and I can't continually live like he wants me to live. Have you ever been there? I mean, do you, do you get the sense of kind of hopelessness in the statement? I'm trying so hard, and it's not working. But he doesn't leave you with despair. He goes on and he says this in verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That, that there is this tyrant king who is reigning over creation. And he sends Israel, and Israel continues to just follow the pattern. And he sends the law, but the law is powerless. And he sends Jesus, who does not respond like everyone else. With self-sacrificial love, he forgives and brings healing. And you, you feel that tension, that pull of being stuck in the middle. Well, have you ever carved a, a jack-o'-lantern or a pumpkin? And, and the favorite part of everyone who does this is like this part, where you pull out the, the junk, Right? Like all the parents are like, let's just get to the carving, and the kids are wanting to cut faces, but there's this mess, and it's all got to come out. And, and here's the thing. It takes a while, and, and it takes some work on your part. And the thing is, I don't know that you ever really get there. And as hard as we try to fix things and clean out the mess, it takes a long time before the remnant of that allegiance to that former king is fully gone. And, and there's this sense where it's us working as hard as we can to get rid of the mess, to get rid of the junk. But understand this. God does not look at you and say, oh, you are righteous because you're all cleaned out. Paul's point is that he looks at you and says you are righteous before you are all cleaned out. And there's still this remnant that we work at getting rid of. Like the mess is not easy. 
because we've taken this creation and gone in directions it was never intended to go for so, so long that that mess is still there. But there's this idea that, that we walking in step with God's Spirit, just simply day by day, God, show me. Show me where the anger is, and Father, help me root it out of my life. Help me get rid of it. God, show me where, where I lie and where I'm dishonest. God, show me where lust creeps into my heart and has control. Show me when, when unforgiveness controls me. Show me when greed and arrogance and pride are just the way that I walk. Father, just get all of this junk out of me. Help me. Walk alongside me. Call me on it when it's, when it's there. Even the time when anger creeps up and it's really just I'm hungry. God, get rid of it. Get rid of it. Like, get this junk out of my life. But there is this remnant of our allegiance to the tyrant king that remains. And it begins with us simply saying yes to Jesus every single day. And, and walking alongside of him, saying, God, show me. Show me where there's malice. Show, show me where my heart is not right. Father, fix me in here. Father, help me put to death the, the allegiance to this tyrant king, this reign, because, Father, so much in me wants to go back to that pattern. Show me. Father, I'm going to say yes to you. So 15 years ago, my wife made the best decision she'll ever make. <laughs> February is our 15th anniversary, so just, yeah. No. We, we made this decision 15 years ago. And I asked Cammie, would you marry me? And she says, yes, I will. And we made a decision to say yes that day. But we've also made a decision to say yes every day since then. Because every single day, there are different opportunities there are different things that pop up. There are different challenges. There are different struggles. There are different fights and arguments and ways of saying. There are so many times that there is an opportunity for that to be derailed. But what our commitment said was not that we were going to say yes just today here on a stage and in front of an altar, but that we were going to say yes for every single day for the rest of our life. You're going to be committed to that. God's ultimate yes was that yes, I'm going to be committed to this creation forever. And this creation is going to think, you know what? I can do my own thing. I can make things right. I can fix things myself. This creation is going to find itself in despair. Look where we've gotten ourselves to. Look how bad things are. This 
Creation is going to become callous to the fact that it's messed up because they're just so used to it. This creation is going to be messed up, but I am committing to not being like the old humanity. I'm going to be like the new humanity, and I'm so committed to that. I'm going to come myself as a man, and I'm going to enter into the mess of this old humanity. I'm going to come out of this mess a new humanity because I'm going to look sin and death in the eyes, and I am going to crush it and defeat it, and I will reign Hallelujah. An invitation to every single one of us to say yes to God's new day, today. And the invitation tomorrow is the exact same, to say yes to God's new day, tomorrow. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. Because that former allegiance, I can promise you, it's still there. There's still a mess. And the only way that it starts to get clean is walking with Jesus and ruthlessly rooting this out of our life. And realizing what he wanted the church to realize. That we're part of the problem. Because we look at everyone else and if they would get things fixed. And if they would be nicer. And God says, wait, 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 wait. You missed it. I sent you as a part of this new humanity into the old humanity to offer grace and love and forgiveness so that there would be healing in the land. So that one day, things could be the way they were supposed to from the beginning. You are the hands. You are the feet. You are the mouthpiece that bring Jesus into this world. So as we end this morning, I want to ask you to stand with me. And we're going to do a a pretty simple, responsive reading as a prayer. And so the part in white, I'm going to read, and the part in yellow, you're going to respond with. And this will be our prayer this morning. So dear God, We say yes to you moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second, step by step, breath by breath, situation by situation, relationship by relationship, job by job, day by day, and longing by longing. Yes Yes to you and your way. Yes Yes to your future. To your shalom. To your leading to your visions, to your aches for the world, to your empowering, to your emboldening, to your calling. Yes, to, you, to all of you, all of your leading, all of your ways, moment by moment, minute by minute, second by second, step by step, breath by breath, situation by situation, relationship by relationship, job by job, Day by day, longing by longing. Yes, Lord. 
Father, we pray that on us today, your spirit would fill us, that it would help us as we look into our life and realize that everyone else is not the problem. Father, it begins with us. And all of us gather here at the foot of the cross knowing that we're on equal ground. That Father, we are the solution to the problem, but Father, we still contribute to the problem. Help us root out all of the sin, all of the ugliness within us. Father, help us to get rid of it. Father, not so that we would be called righteous, but Father, rather because we have been called righteous. And Father, we're grateful for the gift of Jesus who gives us life, who gives us hope of a new day. And Father, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.